It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. This has definitely been a, a pretty crazy week with the election and the allegations of voter fraud and corruption and just the political attacks on both sides. And then you, know, you go on social media and the you know differing opinions that have gotten quite heated. And, um, you know, I think all of these things have just kind of left our country in a place of unrest. Uh, if you were just to take 2020 and all the crazy and horrible and difficult things that have happened in this year, you know, I think we could describe it as a year of unrest because many people have definitely been in that place of unrest. And, you know, in the midst of all the unrest that we face, you know, people are, are seeking to, to find rest and they look for and look to different things in order to gain that rest. And some are trying to find it in a person. You know, we just recently saw that. Some were trying to find it, you know, in President Trump, others in, you know, uh, Joe Biden, others thinking it in, in some other, you know, political person. Others are trying to find a, in a, a place of rest. Maybe if I just, you know, go on vacation and maybe go to a, a resort and just get away from it all for a week or two weeks or whatever it may be, I can have just at least a short time of rest. Uh, others are trying to find rest in that certain day. You know, oh, it's finally Friday and the weekend's here and, you know, I, I don't have to work anymore and I can have just maybe a day or two of, of rest from all the craziness and chaos. And, and others are trying to find it in, in drugs or alcohol. They think, you know, if I'm just high or drunk, I just can escape, you know, just everything that's happening, even for a, a short moment of time. So these are some of the things that the world is seeking to find rest in. And, and there's something that is uh, common to all of these things, and that's the fact that none of those things are going to give a lasting rest. None of those things are going to give a fulfilling rest. You know, the, the president can't give a lasting rest, can't give a, a fulfilling rest. I mean, even if you think he's fulfilled the majority of what you would want him to do, he's not going to do it all. And even if you think he's the greatest president of all, he's only going to be in there on maximum amount of eight years. And then you're left again with, you know, coming back to that place of unrest. You know, a resort can't give you any lasting or fulfilling rest. It, it might be wonderful. It might be great. But, you know, it's only going to last for, you know, maybe a week or however long you have for your vacation. And then you got to go back to regular life. The weekend, it can't give you a, a lasting or fulfilling rest. You know, whatever you do on the weekend, I'm sure isn't going to fully fulfill you and it's going to end. You know, it's only got two days and then you're back to the Monday to fi- Friday grind all over again. Drugs and alcohol, they can't pe- give people lasting and fulfilling rest. They're not going to fulfill. The high is going to wear off. The buzz is going to go and you're left with having to face the unrest of the world again. So the things this world is looking to to give them rest, it really doesn't give them the rest they need. 
It doesn't give them lasting rest. It doesn't give them fulfilling rest. Because the bottom line, that there's only one source. There's only one person in which you will find true lasting rest, true fulfilling rest, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I've spoken of unrest in our world and, and our, our desire for rest, I mean, one, obviously, we're, we're in a time where we see that all around us, but I'm doing it specifically because that's where the author of Hebrews is taking us here in chapter 4. He's going to speak to us about the importance of this rest that God has available for you and for me, a promised rest that we can have in Jesus Christ if we place our faith in Him. And so it's a great passage about the, the wonderful rest that's available to us. And as the author tells us about the rest that Jesus gives, he's going to show us that it is greater than the rest that you would receive in Judaism. You see, in Judaism, there's basically two rests that God gave to the nation of Israel. The rest of the promised land and also the rest of the Sabbath day. Now, the author of Hebrews is going to show that the rest that Jesus promises to give, that we can have in a relationship with Him, is greater than the rest of the promised land, and it's greater than the rest that you can have in the Sabbath. And in doing so, the author is also going to be showing how Jesus is greater than Moses, and how Jesus is greater than Joshua. You see, Moses was used by God to give the Israelites the Sabbath law. He was the one who, on Mount Sinai, got that law, presented that to the Israelites, and so they connect the Sabbath with Moses. And since Jesus' rest is greater than the Sabbath rest, it shows that Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, Joshua was used by God to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, the, the land of rest. And since Jesus is greater than the rest that you have in the promised land, He's also greater than Joshua. But something interesting to note as well, and, and we alluded to it last week as we looked at chapter 3, because it starts with that whole you know, uh, contrast between Jesus and Moses, and Jesus being greater than Moses, and then you know, the rest that the Israelites missed out on in the promised land because of unbelief and hardness of heart. But you know what? Moses didn't go either. Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. He did not lead the Israelites into the promised land. So he didn't even have any connection to that rest, which once again shows Jesus as greater than Moses. So the author wants his readers to know that the rest they have in Jesus is greater than the rest that they would have in Judaism. And it makes Jesus greater than the heroes that they would have of Moses or Joshua. Now, this would be very important for these readers to understand. Remember, they have been considering leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism. And they need to understand, hey, if you do that, you are leaving a superior rest in Jesus to go back to an inferior rest in Judaism. And I think this is very important for us to understand as well. Because we live in a world full of unrest. And we need to know where true, lasting fulfilling rest comes from so that we can receive it personally, but also so that we can share it with those who don't know it. As I mentioned, the world's seeking rest. They want it desperately. They're just looking in the wrong place. And we have the truth, the answer of where they can find it. And so not only should we seek to receive it personally, but we should seek to reveal to those who don't know the rest comes 
in a relationship with Jesus. Now, last week we looked at the warning the author gave of having a hard heart of unbelief. And the example that he gave was of the Israelites during the Exodus where they didn't enter the promised land because they weren't willing to believe that God could give it to them. And because of that, they missed out on the land of rest, the land of the promise. They didn't receive it because of unbelief. And the whole adult generation from 20 up, besides Joshua and Caleb, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they died there. And they never got to enter in to the promised land, the land of rest. And it was because of their unbelief. Now, in the chapter 4, the author really is just going to pick up right where he left off. At the end of chapter 3, he reveals they didn't enter because of unbelief. And he's going to connect that, what he said in chapter 3 about the Israelites and their unbelief and hardness of heart and the, the consequences that it brought to them with what he's going to share here in chapter 4. And something I want you to know before we get into it is the author is going to start and end with something that is the real encouragement that he wants us to understand with it. And the encouragement is there's a promise of rest that remains for us today. He says that at the beginning. He actually says that at the middle. He says at the end. He wants us to recognize there's still a rest that remains for you and I today. And this is important because you look at, well, the whole adult generation that was taken out of Israel, they missed the promised rest. But that didn't stop God. He didn't say, well, you know what? I'm never going to offer rest to anyone else after the way that they responded. No, there still remains a promised rest for you and for me today. And the wonderful news about this promised rest that we'll look at this morning, the rest that is in Jesus, it is far greater than the rest that you could have in Judaism, than the rest of the promised land or the rest of the Sabbath. What Jesus gives is the greatest rest there is. So this morning you're not at rest because of all the unrest in our country right now, or you have loved ones that you know, or, or friends or co-workers that are not at rest. Let the verses we're going to look at encourage you and comfort you that there is a promise here. There's a rest that remains for us that we have access to, that we can be blessed by, that we can hold on to, that we can experience today to help us in the midst of the unrest in our world. So let's see what the author of Hebrews has to say about this great rest that Jesus provides, starting in verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest... Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So as I mentioned, the author starts off with this reality. There's a promise that remains of entering Jesus' rest. And since that is the case, since there is this promise that remains, the author says, because of that, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. You know, you and I should have a a godly fear of coming up short when it comes to this amazing rest that Jesus provides for us. You know, there's a lot of things in the Christian life that we should fear. That's a a godly fear. There are certain fears that we shouldn't have, but, but there are fears that are healthy fears, that are fears that I'm sure most of us do have, 
Like the fear of going back to a a certain sin that that God delivered us from. Uh, Maybe a a fear that we're, we're not making the kind of impact on this world that God has called us to do. Or maybe a fear that our pride will keep us divided from other believers over minor issues that that we shouldn't have division over. Maybe we fear that we're going to fall into Satan's temptations. I mean, the list goes on and on of of healthy, good fears that we should have of things that are sinful, of things that, that we want to avoid. But you know, when's the last time you feared coming short of entering the promise of Jesus' rest? When's the last time that was really something that struck you and said, you know, here's at the top of my list or even close to the top of my list of, of things I'm concerned about. Not entering the rest of Jesus. There it is up on the top. I would probably say for most of us, that's probably not there. It's not a fear that we often have. It's not something that we really maybe take as serious as we should. But the author of Hebrews wants us to recognize this is something we should fear. This is something that we should take serious. This is something that's so important, we do not want to come up short when it comes to the rest that Jesus gives to us. And once again, he uses the example of the Israelites that God delivered from Egypt, but yet they came up short. They didn't gain the rest. I mean, they were literally... Kadesh Barnea, there's the border. The promised land is right on the other side. They came as close as you can get, but they came up short. They didn't get into the rest that God provided. He says in verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Notice here we're told that the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. And this could be a little bit confusing because typically we hear that term, the gospel. And all of a sudden our mind goes to the gospel message that we are called to go into the world and preach the gospel, the message that, you know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. You know, that, that wonderful message that we believe, we hear that word and we think that's what it's talking about. But what we need to understand is this Greek word translated gospel, and I'm sure a lot of you already know this, it just means good news. And that's what the message of the gospel is. It's great news. What Jesus has done is great news. But only the King James Version and the New King James Version of the Bible translate it gospel. Every other version translated it the way it should be translated, which is just good news. Because you kind of think, oh, wait a second. The gospel was preached to the people uh, in the Exodus and the gospel was preached to us thinking of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that there was a message of good news preached back then. And there's also a message of good news preached to us today. The good news message that those of the time of the Exodus heard was from Joshua and Caleb. They came, they told them, remember the 12 spies went, they were two of the 12, and they came back and they said, God can give us the promised land. We just got to believe, we just got to trust, we just got to go, God's going to do it. They heard the good news of that message, but they didn't believe it. Now today we have a good news message. The message of the gospel that we truly think of, the good news of what Jesus has done as he died on the cross for our sins, three days later rose from the dead. But notice how the author tells us of the response of what happened as the Israelites heard the good news from Joshua and Caleb about entering the promised land. We're told, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. 
The good news that the Israelites heard that God could give them the promised land, the land of rest, it didn't profit them. And notice the reason why. Well, why didn't that great news not profit them? It didn't profit them, not because the message wasn't declared clearly, not because the messengers weren't doing it well. It didn't profit them. Why? Because the good news was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. Israel heard the message, but it had no profit. Why? Because they didn't have faith in it. It wasn't mixed with faith. that They didn't believe it. They didn't say, you know what, you're right, Joshua, you're right, Caleb. We're going into the promised land. No, their whole problem was unbelief. It wasn't mixed with faith. That was the issue. You know, those of us who are saved, we profited from the gospel, but not just because we heard it preached. Our profit came because we actually mixed that with faith. It was the faith that we had that this message is true that I want to believe in Jesus Christ, believe in His sacrifice on the cross, believe in His atoning death for my sin, believe in His resurrection. It was the fact that I put my faith in that, that it profited me. Because there's millions of people in the world today who have heard the gospel message, but they have not put their faith in it. So guess what? That message profits them nothing. It's not saving them from their sin. It's not saving them from hell. It's the true message, but yet if it's not received with faith, It doesn't profit anyone. And that's what the author is saying of what happened here to the the nation of Israel. They heard this good news. Yeah, you can go into the promised land of rest, but they didn't receive the promised land of rest. Why? Because they didn't have faith in God to give it to them. The author of Hebrews wants to use that as a warning to us. Look at that. Look at what they missed out on. That we should fear coming short of the promise of entering Jesus' rest because of unbelief. Just like the Israelites came short because of their unbelief. As we look through this this morning, I hope that we come to a conclusion that Jesus' rest is so amazing. It is so wonderful. And because of that reality, there should be a healthy, godly fear inside of us that says, I don't want to miss out on any of that. I don't want just a portion of that. I want the whole thing. I want to receive it all. I don't want anything in me to hinder me from receiving the rest of Jesus. And the author recognizes the value of that, and he wants to warn his readers, you should have a healthy fear of coming up short, of not getting what you could have. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, It is by believing that we get rest, By no other means, not by scheming or plotting and planning and thinking and criticizing and judging and doubting and questioning, but by believing. The submission of the soul to God's truth, the yielding of the heart to God's salvation. This once done, we lie down in green pastures and are led beside the still waters. Belief is the key, and unbelief is the problem. So now that the author has revealed that there's this promise that we have that remains for us today in the rest of Jesus. He's going to share with us why Jesus' rest is greater than the rest that Judaism offers in verses 3-5. through five. It says this, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as He has said, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, 
they shall not enter my rest. So the author starts off in verse 3 giving us a wonderful encouragement that all who believe in Jesus do enter his rest. He's been saying, hey, that there's this rest that remains, and if you will put your trust in Jesus, <laughs> you will receive that rest. You will enter that rest. But he also helps us see unbelief keeps you from Jesus' rest, but belief enables you to enter it. And then he quotes from Psalm 95. Remember last chapter he quoted several times from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And now he requotes Psalm 95, 11, which says, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And as we saw last week, this whole psalm is about a warning of don't be like the nation of Israel, who because of their hard hearts of unbelief did not enter the rest of the promised land. And so he's taking us back to that reality. And something important for us to note is one of the reasons why Jesus' rest is greater than the rest of the promised land. And one of the reasons why is because Jesus' rest is not based on a specific location. You see, the rest of the promised land was. It was definitely based on a specific location. You don't receive the rest unless you're in the promised land. I mean, and that's the reality for the nation of Israel. They got super close. They were at the border. Why didn't they receive the rest? They weren't in the right location. And they went back to the wilderness and they wandered for 40 years. They never got into the promised land location and therefore they never entered that rest. And so the rest literally was in that specific location. But Jesus' rest is greater than the rest of the promised land because Jesus' rest is not based on a specific location. And I'm so glad of that. I hope you are as well. I hope we're not you know, thinking, man, I just got to raise enough money to buy a plane ticket so we can go to Israel and then we can get to the promised land and finally we will enter the rest of Jesus. That it's in that place, it's in that location and the only way that you and I can receive it is if we fly over there and do that. You know, I had the privilege of going to Israel for a week and doing a tour, and it was amazing. But, you know, how hard it would have been to leave if I thought, you know what, man, I have this place of rest for the first time in my life for this week that I've been here, and now i got to go back to another location where I'm going to lose that rest. It's no longer going to be available for me. But the wonderful news is it doesn't matter where you are. The rest of Jesus can be in any location. It can be here in Houston. It can be anywhere in the States. It can be anywhere in the world. You don't have to go to Israel to receive it. You can receive it no matter where you're at. So something important for us to understand is this wonderful truth that Jesus' rest can be received in any location. And because it's not based on this specific location, like the promised land rest is, it shows us that Jesus' rest is greater than that rest. And it also reminds us that Jesus is greater than Moses, who is not able to lead the nation of Israel into that rest. And that he's greater than Joshua, who could only lead the Israelites into the rest of the promised land, but he couldn't lead them anywhere else and get them rest. But Jesus offers it no matter where you are. Now, another thing the author wants to draw our attention to in quoting Psalm 95:11 is that notice it's God's rest. They shall not enter my rest. And something important to understand about God's rest is it didn't start at the promised land. It wasn't like, you know, let's, let, let's give some rest. Well, let's just wait. Hey, I got, I got the rest. I got the rest in this land and that's where I'll, I'll give it. God's rest did not start at the promised land. God's rest started long before that 
back in creation. And that's why the author says this in verses 3 through 5. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Well, here the author is quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, which tells us the first time that God rested. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about creation and God creating everything in six days. And after every day, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man, it's very good. And then he's done. So the seventh day, what does God do? He rests. That's the first time that God rested after he completed everything, created everything, then he says, now I'm going to rest. And the important thing about that is that is why he established the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest comes back to God's rest right after he created everything. Exodus chapter 20, where we get the Ten Commandments, we typically don't read beyond that oftentimes. God also gives a command about the Sabbath. He says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God says here, Israel, I want to give you one day a week of rest. And it's based off the fact that I worked six days, and on the seventh day I rested, and so I'm going to give you that rest as well. And that's a command. So you, your family, your servants, your animals, I don't care who's living in your household, nobody, nobody works. Everybody rests on the Sabbath. But he also, in this Sabbath, said, you know what? Every seventh year, I want your land to rest. So six years you can farm, six years you can do all this stuff, but the seventh year, let it free. Let it be. One year of rest. Now, just like with the rest of the promised land, there were times in Israel's history where they missed out on this Sabbath rest because of unbelief. When Israel rebelled against God, which was unfortunately quite often, in that rebellion, and they start worshiping idols and doing other things, they would stop the Sabbath. They would stop the one day a week rest. They would stop the Sabbath with the land. They just stopped following the commands of God because they were disobeying Him, and God punished them for that. Yeah, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I mean, we hear those as kids growing up in Sunday school, but do you realize why they're in Babylon? Do you realize why they left Israel and were there under Nebuchadnezzar's rule in Babylon? It was God's judgment. They were specifically removed from Israel. God allowed it to happen. He allowed the Babylonians to take them into captivity, and they stayed in captivity for a specific time, 70 years. And the reason why is for 490 years, they did not let the land rest. Now, every seventh year, they were supposed to give one year of rest. 490 years, what does that mean? 70 years of Sabbath rest were not done. So God says, fine, you don't want to follow that? I'll take you out of the land. I'll give it 70 years of rest right now. And that was a specific punishment. Why? Because they didn't obey and enter into that 
rest. So God has provided two main ways for the Israelites to receive rest. First, through the promised land rest, and second, through the Sabbath rest. And some of the Israelites missed out on both of those rests because of their unbelief. Now, we already looked at how Jesus' rest in one aspect is better than the promised land rest. And I want us to look at another aspect of how Jesus' rest is greater than the rest of the Sabbath. Jesus' rest is greater than the rest of the Sabbath because it's not limited to only one day. One day in the week. You see, the rest of the Sabbath, that's all it was. It's one day in the week. And I'm sure it was a nice thing. I'm sure they were blessed that one day. I know I'm blessed, you're blessed. You know, the weekend comes, we get that day to rest. We're not having to work. It's a nice thing. But there's still six other days they had to work. Still six other days where that rest wasn't attainable. So if you wanted to have a day of rest and it was Monday, sorry, you're going to have to wait until the Sabbath on Saturday. Now, fortunately, Jesus' rest is not limited to only one day a week. And that's a wonderful blessing to us. Because with a week of unrest like we've just had, how horrible it will be to just start with all this stuff and be like, <laughs> i got to wait till Saturday or i got to wait till Sunday before I can have this day of rest, before I can receive this rest from Jesus. The wonderful truth is we can enter, we can enjoy the rest of Jesus any day that we choose. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice Jesus doesn't say, come to me on Saturday, come to me on Sunday, and on that day I'll give you rest. No, it's just this general statement, come to me, meaning you can come at any day, you can come at any time, you just come to me whenever you choose, and when you come, I promise something very important, I will give you rest. I'll give you rest, I'll give you rest for your soul. This is such a wonderful promise that's available to us at any time. And so Jesus' rest is greater than the Sabbath rest because the Sabbath rest is limited to a particular day. But Jesus' rest you can have at any time. It's available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So the first two reasons Jesus' rest is greater than Judaism is because first, you can receive Jesus' rest in any location, unlike Judaism, where you had to be in a specific location, the promised land. You can receive Jesus' rest at any time, unlike Judaism, where you can only receive it on the Sabbath. So now that the author has brought up the Sabbath rest and the rest of the promised land, he's going to share with us, like he started, well, there's still a promised rest. And it's a different rest than the, the rest of the promised land. It's a different rest than the rest of the Sabbath. And not only is it different, it's greater. Verse 6 through 10 tells us, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, 
then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now remember we started in verse 1 with this wonderful encouragement, since a promise remains of entering Jesus' rest, and now the author gets back to that truth in verse 6 when he says, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, speaking of the rest of Jesus. So he's bringing us back to this main point that he wants us to take from these verses. So since a promise remains of of entering Jesus' rest, he goes on to say, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Once again, that reminder that he gave us in the beginning of that example of the Israelites. But then he says in verse 7, again, God designates a certain day. Remember the first day that God designated was this Sabbath day. And he's saying, well, now there's another one. There was the Sabbath day rest. And now he's saying, again, something new, God has designated another day of rest. And God designated this day of rest when he spoke through David in Psalm 95. What he said, as we looked at last week, and now he brings it up again this week, today, if you will hear his voice, do not Harden your hearts. Now notice the author points out something important. He says, after such a long time, it has been said today. Now this is something important to know. When David wrote Psalm 95, the Israelites had been in the promised land for quite a long time. They've been experienced the Sabbath day rest for quite a long time. So David wrote this appeal to enter God's rest long after Israel had already attained it. And so what the author is pointing out is that David couldn't be speaking about the rest that maybe you're thinking of, Jews, of the promised land or the Sabbath. It's something different. It's something greater. And he makes his point even more clear in verse 8. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Well, when did Joshua give them rest? When he led them into the promised land. If that was the fulfillment... If that was it, if that was all the rest that God was going to give, then it would have been over when they entered the promised land. And so the author is saying, hey, that happened way before David spoke. And so if that was it, then why would have God spoken through David to say, hey, today there's more. Today there remains a rest available for you and for me. And so the author is making clear it's not the promised land rest he's talking about. It's not the Sabbath rest that he's talking about. He's speaking about a rest that's even greater, that's still available for those who put their trust in Jesus. And he tells us about this wonderful rest in verses 9 and 10. He says, There remains therefore a rest For the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So here we go. Once again, he's bringing us back to this promise rest that what remains. He started with it. It remains in verse 6. It remains. And now again in verse 9, there's a rest that remains for the people of God to enter into and experience. And now he tells us why this rest is so great. Why it's so much greater than any rest that the Jews had under Judaism. Verse 10, For he who has entered Jesus' rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And there's two really important things I want to draw from this verse here 
That's going to be the third and the fourth reason for why Jesus' rest is greater than the rest that you could have in Judaism. And the first thing I want you to note is we're told, for he who has entered his rest. Notice it is Jesus' rest, meaning that the rest is found in a person. It's not found in a location or a place like the promised land. It's not found in a day like the Sabbath. It's found in a person. Jesus Christ. You know, when I think of a rest that's in a person, I think of a rest that a baby has in her mother's arms. You know, if you were to find a baby who was crying and screaming because they were separated from their mom, you could try and comfort them. You could try and and give them some rest. You know, you could pick them up and hold them. You could sing to them. You could try giving them a toy. And some of those things might work for a little bit, but they would not give that baby the rest the baby needs. The only time that baby is going to have a lasting rest is when that baby is back with their mom. Because a child's rest is connected to the relationship with their mother. And in the same way, our rest is connected to our relationship with Jesus. So it's not in a place. It's not in a day. It's not in a politician. It's not in a vacation. It is in the person of Jesus. That's why he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am it. It's in me. I'm the source. Come to the source if you want the rest. So the third reason why Jesus' rest is, is greater than the rest in Judaism is because it's received and it's experienced through your personal relationship with Jesus. So you receive this rest not because of where you're living, Not because of what day of the week it is. You receive it for one main reason and one main reason alone. You have a personal relationship with Jesus because you have placed your faith in Him. And here's the wonderful truth. As your faith in Jesus deepens, so does your experience of this rest. As your faith in Jesus continues to grow, you will discover more and more of the rest that Jesus has for you. The more you trust Jesus, the more you rely upon Him, the more that rest is going to be seen, the more that rest is going to be available, the more that rest is going to be something that you experience. And so right now, if you say, man, I am in need of rest, with all the unrest around me, I definitely want the rest of Jesus. Well, you know what? Something practically you can do is spend time with the source of rest. Because that's where it is. It's in Him. And if you're looking for you know, rest in other places or other things, you're not going to find it. It's in that relationship with Jesus. So you need to spend time with Him. Now another important thing that the author tells us about the rest of Jesus is for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Something so important to understand about Genesis 2-2. God ceased from His work for one reason. It was finished. If He had more to do, He wouldn't have stopped. He stopped because the work was finished and it was good. He finished that work and so that is when He ceased. And so what this is telling us is that you and I can cease from having to try to work our way to God. Work our way to His approval. Work our way to to salvation. Instead, we can just 
rest in the finished work that he has done for us. And this is such a contrast with Judaism. You see, under Judaism, under the law, under the old covenant, it was a works-based system. But under Jesus in the new covenant, it is a grace-based system. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So wonderful truth, but you know what? The reason that you and I don't have to work for our salvation is because Jesus has already done the work. It's already been accomplished. It's already been finished. He lived the perfect sinless life that you and I have not. He took the judgment for our sin, every single sin that we have committed, He took that judgment upon Himself and He died in our place. And right before He died, He declared those powerful words, It is finished. It's done. It's complete. Jesus finished the work that enables us to have a relationship with God. And so all that you and I need to do is rest in that finished work. Or as Hebrews tells us, we can cease from trying to work our way to God. The work's been done. It's been accomplished. We just need to rest in what Jesus has done for us. Nothing needs to be added. That's a struggle we often have. Oh, oh! I, I trust in that for my salvation, but, but surely there's something that has to be added. Surely there's more I have to do. Surely that's not enough that, that, that I got to add to this to make it whole, to make it complete. No, it's already complete. It's already finished. There's nothing we can add to that perfect sacrifice of atonement. We just need to rest and believe it's finished. I can rest in that. I can leave the, the worry and the care and the, the, the thoughts of I gotta somehow earn these things. No, you don't. The fourth reason why Jesus' rest is greater than the rest in Judaism because it is a finished work of Jesus that we just need to rest in and not work for. And this is probably the greatest contrast that we have with the old covenant in Judaism versus the new covenant in Jesus. In Judaism, the work was never finished. I mean, you look at the sacrificial system, that's how it's designed. It was never to end. It's just, all right, we just have a sacrifice this year for the atoning of the sins, and then the next year, and on, and on, and on, and on, and there's more dead bulls, and there's more dead sheep, and there's more dead goats, and the blood of these animals, it wasn't enough. It didn't finish it. These animal sacrifices wasn't enough for it to fully say, all right, our sins are atoned, they're dealt with, we're done. And it never was meant to be. It was always pointing to the fact that something is coming, someone is coming, the Messiah is coming, and He is the one that is going to once and for all deal with the sin of the world. He is the one that's going to be sacrificed once and for all, complete the sacrifice, so that the system doesn't need to be going anymore. There's no longer a need to sacrifice bulls. There's no longer a need to sacrifice sheep. There's no longer a need for any of those things because the sacrifice of Jesus was complete once and for all, dealt with the sin of the entire world, past, present, future. It's finished. And that's the wonderful truth of what Jesus declared on that cross. The work is complete. And the sacrifice was enough to pay for your sin and for mine. 
Under the old covenant in Judaism, the work isn't finished, but under the new covenant, it is. What a difference. What a difference to say, you know what? I'm under a covenant that I can't rest. I got to keep working. I got to keep sacrificing versus I'm under a covenant where I'm at full rest because the work has already been done. And you know what? It wasn't me who had to do it. It was done on my behalf and I can just rest in that. Now for the Jewish Christians who are considering leaving Jesus to go back to Judaism, they really need to understand how inferior Judaism is to what they have in Jesus. They really need to understand how inferior the rest is that they have in Judaism versus the rest they have in Jesus. Why would you want to give up a rest that is available in any location, at any time, that's received in a personal relationship with Jesus, and it's a finished work that you can just rest in for a rest that you only have in Israel, that you only have once a week on the Sabbath, that's impersonal and unfinished? I mean, it seems to be quite obvious, but which rest would you rather have? And this is what the author wants his recipients to be thinking about. Why would you even consider going back to that? It's so inferior. Why would you want that rest when you have this? But for us today, why would you want to give up a rest that is available in any location, at any time, that's received in a personal relationship with Jesus, that is a finished work that you can rest in for a rest that comes on the weekend? For a rest that comes on going vacations. For a rest that comes through some politician or some other source. For a rest that doesn't last. That doesn't fulfill. You see, the rest that Jesus gives is far greater than any source of rest. And just as these Jews thinking of leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism and that rest would be so foolish for doing that, we too are foolish if we would leave the rest that we have in Jesus for any other source. Because they're all inferior. None of them are going to be lasting. None of them are going to be fulfilling. None of them are going to offer you the great rest that Jesus does. And because of that, the author wants to finish in verse 11 with a challenge and a warning. He's built this case of why Jesus' rest is so great, so much greater than the rest in Judaism. And so he leaves us with this good challenge in verse 11. He says, therefore, or sorry, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Since Jesus' rest is greater than any rest in Judaism, since Jesus' rest is greater than any rest or source anywhere, We're told we must be diligent to enter that rest. You know, at the beginning of the chapter, we were warned to have this godly fear, lest we come short of entering that rest. And now he takes that concept of the godly fear and he says, let's put some action to it. It's good to have this fear. It's good to to not want to come up short, but now you need to do something. And it says you need to be diligent to enter the rest. Recognize it's possible to come up short. You saw that with the nation of Israel. And so be diligent to actually enter the rest that Jesus provides. There's a lot of unrest in our world right now. It can be very difficult to deal with. Very hard to experience rest in such unrest. And so I want to encourage you in the midst of all this unrest, you've got to find your rest in Jesus. He is the greatest rest there is. His rest is received in any location at any time. 
It's a personal rest experienced through a personal relationship with him, and it's a finished work. You just got to rest in it and not work for it. Corey Ten Boom, if you're not familiar with her, she was a, a woman who hid Jews during the Holocaust. And for a while, she was able to hide and, and help Jews escape the Nazis, but then she was caught. And the punishment was that they sent her to a concentration camp. And so she saw and experienced some of the worst evils in our world. And she said this very profound statement. She says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at Jesus, you'll be at rest. And this is such a true statement. When you look at all that's going around in the world today, it just distresses you. You look at your own life, your own sins, your own failures, the temptations you keep giving into, kind of get depressed. But you know what? When you look at Jesus, when you take your eyes off the world, you take your eyes off yourself, you put your eyes on Jesus, that's when you have rest. And so if you're struggling with unrest this morning, I want to encourage you to do two practical things. First, just take one day. If you want to do more than one day, I think you'd probably benefit even more. But I'm just going to say one day to stop looking at the things that are causing you unrest. So I'm going to guess it's going to be turn off the news, get away from social media, get away from all the sources that are just constantly bombarding you with all the unrest that's happening in the world right now, and just get away from it. Take a time just to separate yourself from that, and then second, don't just get away from it. Then look to Jesus, who's the one who will give you rest. So as you turn off the news, as you get away from social media, as you get away from all the different sources that are trying to you know, influence and impact and, and all the unrest that is being told to you, just stop that and spend time with Jesus. Open your Bible, read that, pray, worship, and just watch the difference in your own perspective, in your own life, in your own attitude, and how you're able to deal with these things. Watch how when you actually go back on social media, how your responses maybe are different, maybe more represent the fact that you're a Christian, and you know that you can allow this rest of Jesus to impact you. So take time to do that. And just remember, you can do it at any location. You can do it at any time because that's in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so grateful that you give us this rest, that it's available to us. Lord, as we look through your word, as we look in the book of Acts, believers then, that they lived in even more unrest than we have today. They lived under governments that were far more brutal to Christianity than ours is. But yet, Lord, you gave them rest in the midst of it. As we even looked at just a little bit of, look at Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most wicked rulers in history. And look at how you used Daniel to impact him. So, Lord, I just pray, even if we're not pleased with the results of the election, or not pleased with the direction of the country, or not pleased with whatever it may be, that, God, we would enter your rest and we would not allow what's happening around us to change 
where you want to do in us. We would not allow what's going on in our world to, to stop us from seeing the bigger picture of you want us to reach the world with the gospel. The true change is not through a president, it's through people coming to know you. And so I pray that we would just be more emboldened, that we would have even a greater desire to just reach this nation, reach this world with the message of what you have done that will ultimately bring true rest and peace that nothing else will. And so, Lord, I just pray personally that we could receive that this morning, but also that we would be able to encourage others, family members, co-workers, neighbors, Lord, people who are just struggling right now, that we would let them know where they can truly find rest. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that's one of our desires as a church. We want to be able to impact our community. We want to be able to communicate the rest, the salvation message of Jesus. And Jaime is our deacon over outreach. And I'm going to have him just share with us. We, we have a, an outreach coming up that I encourage you, if you have the time, to join us in. And right before he comes up, just two other announcements just uh, to throw out there. Ladies, uh, this Tuesday uh, at my house, 7 o'clock, it's going to be our next women's Bible study, so we'd love to have you there. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, uh, on November 22nd of this month, we're going to be doing a baptism. Uh, and so if you have accepted the Lord and you have never obeyed Him, because this is something that He commands us to do, you've never been baptized, uh, then please uh, come talk to me. We'd love for you to uh, take that step of obedience and do that. So that's going to be in a couple weeks. I'm going to have Jaime come and just encourage us, share with us uh, what we're going to be doing this month uh, and how you guys can get involved. Oh, thank you, Colson. That's exactly what I needed. So uh, our, our message this morning was an encouragement to respond in faith. And uh, we have an encouragement, like, again, as Matthew said, if you've never been baptized, that's actually something that God is asking us to do, to respond in faith. And the Bible also calls us as Christians to go out and preach the gospel. And that's called the Great Commission. It's not a suggestion. It's the Great Commission. So actually, this coming Saturday, we're going to be meeting from 2 to 5 p.m. We'll meet here at the church, and we're going to pair up, and we're going to be going door to door sharing the gospel. There are people who are hurting, people who are lost, people who are just looking outside at the world or looking in their own heart, and they're suffering as a result. So we're actually going to go on a search and rescue mission this coming Saturday, but with the most powerful message that we could give, the message of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are worried or you are nervous, then you're in good company because I think anyone who ever shares the gospel is nervous and worried about sharing the gospel. I get nervous and worried about what I'm going to say. But the Bible gives us a promise. says that in those times, it won't be us speaking, but our Father speaking through us. And in addition to that, we're actually not going to like come and say, okay, well, Robert, you've never done X, Y, or Z. Good luck on your own. The Bible actually says that he wants us to go two by two. He wants us to be paired up. And so we're going to pair you up with someone who's done that a little bit more than you have. And you're going to just stand by their side. You're going to be praying. You're going to be lifting them up. And someone a little bit more experienced than you, a little bit older in the faith, is going to be there with you. But listen, Ma Matthew said that there's these promises God has given us, and we need to step out in faith to, to receive those promises. The Bible says he wants to save people. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost 
And actually, we are the hands, the eyes of Jesus here on earth. And so I'm asking you, will you please come out this next Saturday? Will you give three hours of your time? Will you go out and reach your neighbors in your own community? And let us share with them the message that can save them for heaven and sustain them here on earth. And so I want you, I'm asking you personally, will you come talk with me after church today? Let's get a team together for search and rescue. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And uh, that's the great opportunity, privilege, and responsibility we all have. So just want to encourage you, if you're looking for ways to respond in faith, you can get baptized if you've never been, and you can come and share the gospel this next Saturday. Thanks.